we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We'll go to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, we come to the 22nd chapter this morning, 2 Samuel 22. And we began last week, we looked at verses 1 through 20 of 2 Samuel 22. And we looked at this chapter uh, with this title in mind, David's Song of Victory. And what you have in this 22nd chapter is a psalm or a song that David pens. You find it also in Psalm 18 with some slight variations. Uh, This song is basically republished again at the end of the life of David as an appendix to his life in chapter 22. And perhaps with a few changes in mind through his experience as he grew older and suffered through some great trials. Uh, Last week we looked, as I mentioned, at verses 1 through 20, and uh, we looked at it in 3D. So what do you mean by that? Well, I gave you some thoughts. I share them with you. David's devotion, David's distress, and David's deliverer. So I used the letter D. We looked at it in 3D, all right? This week, I'm giving you three Ps, okay? A reminder that you need to eat uh, more healthy this week, all right? So last week, 3D. This week, three Ps. And uh, we will conclude this psalm beginning in verse 21. So I I hope you'll look with me and then I'll give you the three Ps, all right? We'll begin reading in verse 21. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him and have kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful, and with the upright thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the forward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And the afflicted people, thou wilt save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty, that thou mayest bring them down. In other words, God takes care of the humble, but he brings down the proud. Verse 29, for thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, but... By my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. He's a shield to me, he said. 
verse 32. For who is God save the Lord, and who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds' feet, and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps unto me, so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and destroyed them, and have turned not again until I had consumed them, and I have consumed them and wounded them, that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me hast thou subdued under me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked, but there was none to save them, even to the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as small as the dust of the earth. I did stamp them as the mire of the street and did spread them abroad. Thou also hast delivered me from the strivings of my people. Thou hast kept me to be head of the heathen, a people which I knew not shall serve me. Strangers shall submit themselves unto me. As soon as they hear, they shall be obedient unto me. Strangers shall fade away, and they shall be afraid out of their close places. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. It is God that avengeth me, and that bringeth down the people unto me, and that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou also hast lifted me up upon high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. I will sing praises unto thy name. He is the tower of salvation for his king and showeth mercy to his anointed unto David and to his seed forevermore. As we noted this last week, this song is a song of David, and it is a song of victory. It was composed in verse number one of this chapter. It was composed in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Therefore, we have this song of victory. David is looking back in this song. He's looking back into his past, and there he sees the trials and the difficulties that he suffered, the battles that he fought, the victories that he won, and he's giving God praise. But not only is David looking back into the past, but he is also looking forward into the future. And David is looking forward beyond his life, beyond his rule, to the rule of the coming king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the promised seed of David, the one who came and gave victory by conquering sin and death and hell. The one who is going to return is coming again, and when he comes this time, he is coming as the conqueror to rule and to reign upon this earth and to establish his kingdom forevermore. So this song, as we look at the lyrics of it, is not simply a a song about David, but it's a song about the son of David, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And it's a song that includes all of us who have put our faith and trust 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I said last week, I've identified some stanzas for this song, and we looked at three of them last week. David's devotion, he begins this song praising God, thanking him, expressing his love to the Lord. Then he speaks of his distress in verses 5 through 7, the difficulties that he faced, and how that in the midst of those difficulties in verses 8 through 20, he cried out to God, and we saw David's deliverer, the Lord who came to him. Well, as we begin this week, we're going to see three Ps, and so I hope you'll write them down. I'll give you the first one, and that is this David's pardon, David's pardon. Of all the enemies that David faced, none posed so great a threat as the enemy of sin and death. And that is an enemy that is common to all of us. And as we read David's word concerning his own record in verses 21 through 25, we're going to become a bit mystified at how David could say such things and could make such a claim. Now look at what David said in verses 21 through 25. He said, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, as, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him and have kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore, the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. What David is saying is that God has given me victory because I am righteous, because I have not departed from his ways, because my hands are clean. I've acknowledged his judgments. But you and I, as we have studied the life of David, we have not forgotten what happens when David walks upon the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba, he calls for her, he commits adultery with her, he finds out later that, her, uh, that she has uh, conceived a child, and so he calls her husband who is serving in the army, he calls her, him back, Uriah the Hittite, he calls him back uh, from the battle to go home to see his wife, and therefore he could cover the thing and say, this is Uriah's baby, but Uriah refused to cooperate with the king's plan. And so the king sent him back to the battle with a letter in hand that said, put Uriah at the forefront of the battle and draw back from him and make sure that he dies in battle. And that's what he did. And David married Bathsheba and took her to be his wife. And he walked around as if perhaps nothing had happened. But inwardly, he was carrying the burden of his sin. Then Nathan the prophet comes to him and gives the story of the traveler who came to the man and, and uh, wanted something to eat. And so the rich man who hosted the traveler went to his poor neighbor and took the one lamb that he had, and he slaughtered that one lamb instead of his own lambs. He slaughtered that poor man's lamb and fed it to his traveler friend. David was filled with indignation, said that man will surely die. And then Nathan the prophet raised his hand, pointed his finger at David, and he said, thou art the man. Immediately David was confronted 
again afresh and anew with his sin, and his own words condemned him. He had sinned against God. He was worthy of death. And we read this, and we know it happened. And we wonder, how then can David say, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness? That's what David boldly proclaimed. But how could he proclaim it to be true? By the way, how can any of us proclaim it to be true? The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. We perhaps have not committed the same sins that David committed, but the truth of the matter is we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. As sinners, therefore, we are separated from God, and we are under the sentence of death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. And so as Paul penned in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all, that's all of us, gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. To make sure that we clearly understand this, Paul again employs the language, there is none, no, not one, who is not a sinner. We are all sinners. We all find ourselves in the same boat that David did, sinners. So how could David say, I'm righteous? And how could we say, I'm righteous? Well, it is only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can be made righteous. That's the only way we can receive pardon because we are guilty, condemned sinners. And in the presence of the holy God, we have no argument. But God intervened for us. Remember, David cried for his deliverer, and God arose and came to David. And I want to tell you that God has arisen, and he came to us in the person and the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became a man without ceasing to be God. And he lived a sinless, righteous life, and he went to the cross not paying for his own sin. He had no sin. As the son of God, he had no sin. But bearing our sin in his body, he made the payment for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 21, for he, that is God the Father, <clears throat> excuse me, hath made him, that is God the Son, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus Christ was made to be sin for us. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, that the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Your sin and mine was laid on Jesus. He became the embodiment of our sin. He suffered, as we sang, every evil thought, every evil deed crowned his blood-stained brow. That's the power of the cross. He died for us. And so, therefore, he arose again. And when he arose, he arose victorious over sin and death. And we share in his reward. Notice again the words of the psalmist in verse 21. The Lord rewarded me. I'm glad that I can share in Christ's reward. Because of his righteousness, I have become righteous. 
for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The righteous record of the Lord Jesus Christ is therefore imputed to my account. That's an accounting term. His righteous funds covered my debt. My iniquities removed, the sin paid for, the shame and the guilt gone. Now when God looks at me, he doesn't see my crimes against him, my trespasses and my iniquities. He remembers them against me no more. They're separated as far as the east is from the west. What does he see there for? He sees how pleased he is with his son in his righteousness and his perfect obedience. And that is imputed to my account. That's how David could say, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. David's righteousness was based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't earn your way to heaven. You'll never get there. But Jesus Christ has made the payment. And only his righteous record will do. And that record can be transferred to your account. All your sin forgiven if you receive him by faith. Now, when David was confronted with his sin, he was pardoned because he confessed his sin. He confessed it. And notice what happens here in 2 Samuel. If you look back with me, 2 Samuel chapter 12. How did this happen? How did this notorious... Wicked, heinous act of David, which so marred and stained his record among men. How did God forgive him? Well, look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There it is. That's confession. David confessed, I've sinned. In fact, we have an entire psalm, Psalm 51, that details for us David's prayer of confession to the Lord. The Bible says that Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. That that was the greatest word ever spoken to David. The Lord has put away thy sin. David would write in Psalm 32, I believe it is, blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. David's sin was put away. He prayed in Psalm 51 in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The blood that stained the hands of David, the blood of Uriah, was cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us to remove the stain, to remove the guilt, to remove the shame, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord put away David's sin. And if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and you have kept your uh, accounts with him short, in other words, confessing your sin, I have some good news for you. God has forgiven your sin. God has cleansed you of your sin. He has put it away. That ought to make us want to sing about the power of the cross. You see, the Lord put away David's sin as he confessed it. And the Lord put away David's sin because the Lord delighted in David. 
Look in, in, in our text in 2 Samuel 22 and verse 20. David, receiving victory, says this in verse 20. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me out of my distresses. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Do you know why God forgives us? Because he loves us. He loves us. In 2 Samuel chapter number 7, David had said to Nathan, I want to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan said, go ahead. What's in your heart? Do. And Nathan went home and God said, Nathan, wait a minute. David can't build me a house, but I'm going to build one for him. Not a physical house, although David had a physical house. What he meant was I'm going to build him a family, a legacy, a kingdom. And through David's seed, his lineage, a king will arise who will reign on the throne of David forever. That's our king, King Jesus. And this is what the Lord said concerning the sons of David as they ruled. In 2 Samuel 7 and verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men. By the way, David committed iniquity and God chastened him. None of us would want to suffer the consequences that David suffered for his sin. It was the chastening hand of God. The Bible tells us that God chastens those whom he loves. And that if we are without chastening, if we were without the discipline of God in our lives, then that's evidence that we truly don't belong to him. So that's why he tells us not to despise the chastening of the Lord. So he says, if he committed iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy, notice this, please, in the midst of the chastening, my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul. Aren't you glad to know that God's mercy will not depart from us? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You and I have both sinned since the day that we received Christ as Savior. We've made a mess and another mess and mess after mess, have we not? But God in faithfulness has covered our mess with his mercy and the blood of his son. Thanks be unto God. That ought to give us something to sing about. In Psalm 51, David acknowledged the Lord's loving kindness and his tender mercies. Aren't we grateful for God's loving kindness, his tender mercies to us? When we've created such difficulties and trials and caused such iniquity and trespass, when our heart and conscience is so defiled, God is a God of mercy, and his mercy endureth forever. John Woodhouse, speaking of these verses, says this. He says, the Lord dealt with David as a forgiven cleansed man. That's why David could say that. David's not whitewashing his sin to pretend it never happened. No, it's recorded for us in the same book. David is saying something has happened. God in his faithfulness has put away my sin. Woodhouse goes on to write his righteousness, speaking of David's. And we know as we study David's life that David was a good man. His righteousness that once was mixed with much unrighteousness has been washed clean. 
That's why we can sing about the Lord's pardon. His pardon. Maybe you're here this morning in sin and in rebellion against God. And you look at people who go to church or who profess to know Jesus and you say, well, that guy did something worse than me. And many probably said that, no doubt about David. But the difference is that David humbled himself, confessed his sin, and found forgiveness. You see, David's made out of the same stuff you're made out of. We all are made out of it. We have a sin nature. And we're in rebellion against God. But there's a God in love who came to make the payment for our sin, to provide a way for us to have our sins removed and to be with him forever. And all we have to do is do what David did, humble himself, repent, and seek forgiveness. And notice what God does when we do that. Look at verse 26. With a merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the forward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And the afflicted thou wilt save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty that thou mayest bring them down. The haughty are those who in pride refuse to submit to the Lord. But those who will turn to him and repent, those are the ones he will rescue. Why don't you come to Jesus today and be rescued? Notice what David said in verse 29. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, the Lord will lighten my darkness. We live in a dark world. Our souls in iniquity are dark souls. Thanks be unto God for the light of his truth that reveals our need for him and who he is. And David received the light. He responded to the light. And notice what God did for him. He said, for by thee I have run through a troop a troop is a band of marauders, a group of men who've come to rob and pillage. I want you to know Satan is a thief. He's a destroyer. He's a liar. He will wreck and ruin your life. But through the mercy of God and with his light in your heart, you can navigate that troop and live in victory. He said, I ran through them. Verse 30, by my God, have I leaped over a wall? There's no barrier that can hold me back. Verse 31, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler. He's a shield to all them that trust in him. So this stanza that we're looking at here speaks of David's pardon. He was a sinner, but God made him righteous. Well, then the next stanza we find beginning in verse 32 speaks of David's power. David's power. Notice what he says in verse 32. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power. He maketh my way perfect. The king said, the source of my strength is the Lord. So David, where do you get your power from? From God. How do we live this life? What empowers us? It is God, his life in us, that gives us the power 
to live and serve and please him. Notice what he says here in verse 34. He maketh my feet like hind's feet, like one of the goats that can run up on the mountains. I watched a video the other day of a mountain goat scaling a, a cliff. It, it looked like he was just going up a 90-degree surface. I'm thinking, how in the world is this animal able to defy the laws of gravity? How's he able to keep his footing on those narrow crevices that are in those rocks? How's he able to do it? God made him to do it. David said, I need feet like that. Feet that allow me to escape those who oppress me, to escape the, the temptations of sin and iniquity. I need feet like that to ascend the cliff and stand on the pinnacle. And I want to tell you who did ascend the cliff and who did ascend the pinnacle. It is Jesus Christ himself. And from there he rules and reigns and he watches over us. You see his station, his place, the high places. Paul described it this way concerning the Lord Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He described him as the potentate, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Uh, Paul said uh, to Timothy, he is the supreme one. No man can be compared to him. Philippians 2 and verse 9 Speaking of Christ's sacrificial death and his humility, uh, the Bible says this in Philippians 2, 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, set him on a high place, and given him a name which is above every name. No name can be compared with Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess, that every tongue should confess. I want to say it again, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is his station. This is his place. He is exalted. He's to be magnified. And I want to say he loves you and he died for you. Are you willing to bow to him and confess that he's the son of God? If you refuse to bow in this life, you will bow in the judgment. And may God help you to come to him now while there's mercy. We think of his power and his station. We think of his power and his strength. Look in verse 33 again. God is my strength and power, and he maketh my way perfect. Verse 35, he teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. I have pursued, in verse 38, I have pursued mine enemies and destroyed them and turned not again until I had consumed them. I have consumed them and wounded them that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me hast thou subdued under me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as small as the dust of the earth. I did stamp them as the mire of the street and did spread them abroad. The king's strength, what is he doing? He's dealing with his rebels. He's dealing with his enemies. He's dealing with those who hate him and come against them. He's exerting in his strength, his power, and his rule, and his dominion. 
We've been studying this on Sunday nights, the doctrine of the resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15. At least that's where we have come to in our study of 1 Corinthians. And we looked at this last Sunday night, and we can draw these two thoughts together from, from 2 Samuel 22 and also 1 Corinthians. That the king will bring his enemies into, or under rather, his rule. He will exert his dominion over them. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ is coming again, and he will establish his rule and his reign. He has already conquered, by the way, sin and death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the Bible says this, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, there's the enemy, there's the troop, death, sin and death, it came through Adam, Adam's race. We inherited the traits of sin, the characteristics of it. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, the God-man, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, that's what we get in Adam, but in Christ shall all be made alive. You see what Jesus does in his strength? He brings life to death. Life to death. Well, then we see him in his sovereignty. Look in verse 44. Thou also hast delivered me from the strivings of my people. Thou hast kept me to be head of the heathen, a people which I knew not shall serve me. Strangers shall submit themselves unto me. As soon as they hear, they shall be obedient unto me. Strangers shall fade away, and they shall be afraid out of their close places. What is he saying? He's saying there's coming a day when the king will rule and reign. Jesus Christ came the first time to win the victory over sin and death. He offers eternal life to all who will believe on him. Soon he's coming again to establish his dominion, his rule and reign over this earth. Now, we looked at this again in 1 Corinthians 15 last week, and I just want to remind you of it this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24, the Bible says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, speaking of the Son. He will give it to the Father when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. When all of his enemies have completely submitted to him, when he has defeated all of his foes, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 15, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You see, Paul speaking of the doctrine of the resurrection and its significance teaches us that through the resurrection, Jesus Christ is declaring his power and he is restoring all things to himself. All of the ruin and all of the damage and all of the wreckage that sin has caused, all of the injustices and all of the intricacies of the problems that can never be solved by men on this earth, Jesus Christ is restoring and he's going to make it right and he's going to make it pure again and he's going to present this earth with the children of God to his Father and all things will have been restored. You say, what's happening in this world? I read it to you last week, Revelation 11 and verse 15. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. There's going to be a day when there'll be no more threats, no more Russia, no more China, no more oppressive regime throughout the world, no more American government. There will be nothing but Jesus Christ 
ruling and reigning for a thousand years on this earth. And after that thousand year period, this earth will be destroyed and it'll melt away. And Jesus Christ will create a new heaven and a new earth just as he created the first one. And all things are restored and presented back to his father and it will be complete. And we'll live for him forevermore. He's a sovereign God. We have something to sing about, don't we? Well, David concludes really not with a stanza, but a refrain, a final P, David's praise. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. He said, I'm so overwhelmed, I, I don't know what else to say but this. Praise God. He's alive, and because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth a living just because he lives. He says in verse 48, It is God that avengeth me that bringeth down the people unto me. I'm committing all this to God's hands. That bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto thy name. Tomorrow at work, you have an opportunity to give thanks unto the Lord. In the midst of the difficult circumstances that you're going to face this week, you will have an opportunity to give thanks unto the Lord, giving thanks for all things. This is the will of God, the Bible tells us. He is the tower of salvation for his king and showeth mercy to his anointed unto David and to his seed. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.